Welcome back to the part five, finally, of... Did we call it stepping up your game or up your game? I can never remember. Up in your game. So this is part five, and this is Mindset, which is arguably the most important episode, or the most... The foundation of all the other episodes, or aspects, you could say. Um, this is... I've got a little quote. Jesus Christ. Somebody's done their homework this week. Just to fucking... Uh, just, just for the weekend that's in it, there was... Um, there's a there's a woman there in North Ireland. She's seventy four. She she has a, she wrote a book called um, "The Price of Our Souls," and in the book there's a quote from her. Bernadette Devlin is her name. She's she says to gain what is worth having, it may ne- may be necessary to lose everything else. Now, you may think that's a bit cringy, right? And she obviously wasn't talking about fitness, but. Ulster Unionist broke into her home and shot her 14 times in front of her kids and she survived. So, Jesus Christ. When people like that say things like that, it makes you think about them a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. But that is how a lot of elite athletes think about their sport. Yeah. That's genuinely what, like, they're they're going to war kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think it's just that, like, uncompromising in every single aspect. Yeah. You know, if there's, like, if there's a marginal gain to be made somewhere they will make huge sacrifices to get that kind of tiny, tiny improvement. Do you know who's um, a great, like, you can get a lot of information on on this kind of approach is if you listen to any of the West Side stuff, if you listen to Louis talking, so there's a lot more stuff on the West Side YouTube there recently, or if you, the yeah. documentary, very good documentary, West Side Against the World, and they're always having competitions in the gym, like, well, literally, be, like, literally fighting you with each other. Yeah. And, um, no, that's think, not what. Yeah, I think they actually go too far. <laughs> um, and they weren't doing a real sport anyway. Quite part of things that real. Ah, <laughs> uh, we're only joking. Um, or are we? But no, but like that is like the. Joe, we talk about like an arena of consequence, or you hear people talking about having, like kids learning how to chop wood is good because they're in an arena of consequence and they know that their actions have consequences afterwards um, and I think it's just like to appreciate the the consequences that athletes are willing to go to to get a kind of marginal increase or an increase in any way uh, is probably the first thing you have to the first kind of thing we have to get our head around when we're talking about mindset uh, so if you're listening to this as as somebody who's maybe new to a sport or they're doing it a few years um the first thing when you're looking at mindset and if you're looking to compare to the elites or compare to kind of high level operators in in your sport um that is the the very the like the foundation of this kind of mindset will be the the above all else kind of criteria i think a lot of people who are new to sports, maybe are UAS or people who started maybe in their kind of twenties or late twenties, and they're doing CrossFit yeah. or they're doing weightlifting or even or powerlifting very likely, and they're kind of they're in they're really into their sport and they they and this is not to demean them now, but a lot of elite athletes are somewhat psychopathic in their behavior. So you may really enjoy your training, and now this kind of conservation, if you can't train, you're like, oh, this is shit, or oh, yeah. I. I'm not enjoying this I can't train the extent to which elite athletes will go to and very negative to their real well not to their real life but to the rest of their life can be 
absolutely enormous. And I'm not saying this in the terms of, um, I'm not praising them and saying you're being a pussy if you're not like this, but this is just kind of the reality yeah, yeah, of the situation. Yeah. Uh, the name of that experiment, the Gol- Goldman's experiment. So the researcher who asked Olympians if they would take, yeah. um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this now on the internet, but uh, if you, for those of you who haven't, he, some, he did this in the 80s, I think. And he asked a lot of Olympians, would they take this drug that would kill them in 10 years, but guarantee them a gold medal at the next Olympics? And over half of them said, yes, they would take that. And I don't yeah. think a lot of them were being bra- were like displaying traits of bravado. I really no. think they were being very serious. Um, that was repeated again actually a few years ago, and the percentage it was repeated was, after Athens, wasn't it? And it was it was lower, it was a lower percent, but it was still quite high. It was still near, it was still like forty percent or something like that, as far as I can remember. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Now, not to uh, to set the tone for that kind of how mindset <laughs> is when we say that it's important for all our aspects. If you look at it this way, so. It will just this, it will control all of your behavior as far as everything. So if you look at part one was nutrition, then there was environment, peers and mentors, uh, programming. All of these are massively influenced by your mindset. So your nutrition, how seriously yeah. you take it is depending on your mindset. If you think my nutrition needs to be good so I need, because I need my training sessions to be good and how you approach that in your head and how you think about it and how seriously you take it and then your ability to enact discipline to have quality nutrition because you understand why or for example you're taught that maybe you don't have good peers and mentors now but you're willing to drive three hours one way to a gym nearby or a coach nearby who coaches your sport just to see them once a week or they're the kind of things that the mindset I think encompasses everything else and without the mindset then the rest of them mean nothing I suppose yeah and I think that's something like if we look at, at strength sports in general um, or kind of barbell sports, if we include CrossFit into it as well, like and who has so like adult onset athletes, the mindset thing is something a bit different. So in a lot of like the kind of field sports or the team sports, we'll have a a kind of mindset that you grow up with or, or a mindset that you kind of inherit from the teams who've gone before you. So you might um whatever, like it a kind of attitude around abstaining from alcohol during the Gaelic football season that might just be the kind of the given you know every every year there's a drinking ban for these few months or yeah. uh, last year's team agreed to do it so I'll agree to do it this year or uh, geez I don't I don't mind going training on uh, four nights a week because uh, my father played and that's what he had to do and now I'm playing and that's what I'll have to do so I think a lot of the kind of more they're not more kind of yeah so a lot of the team sports are a lot of the kind of this clubs were, are the sports you're playing in clubs that have been kind of formed much much are who that have been formed longer ago basically uh those sports like you you're not as in control of your mindset or what i'm basically trying to say is that you can coast along with a kind of inherited mindset that you've gotten from other players or an inherited mindset that was just put into you since you've been playing that sport since you're a kid if you're weightlifting or powerlifting or crossfitting there's a very high likelihood you haven't been doing this a long time so you might only have picked it up in the last few years and then it's something that you're kind of in control of the mindset so 
that's fairly rare in sports that we'll get to actually kind of craft a mindset or, or work on mental skills with people when they're adults. Uh, so that's why I think this is so important. Other than the fact that it influences everything else, um, you actually have a really good chance now to kind of manipulate your mindset uh, because you're starting a bit later. Of note there as well in terms of your mindset obviously is very influenced by your genetics. So this is some part of your, your mindset that you can control. It's just personality traits, particular quartz, hormone levels, how mm. particular neurons interact in your brain. But also then is your environment when you were younger. So who you saw training, where you went training, what were your parents like? Did they train? Did they exercise? Even if not an exercise, were they were they hard working? Was just working a lot a trait that you grew up with and the experience, good nutrition? So all of these things are bare are worth considering. And obviously uh fits would a lot of psychologists dig back when they're younger for some traits. So it's worth noting. Do you have particular habits of a mindset right now that you may not know why they're there and until you observe them? Do yeah. you know why they're happening and can you change them? You know, one thing I thought yeah, I was talking yeah, about, yeah. remember you used to use the, the cam, no, Headspace app. Yeah. I didn't really like it, but I gave it a fair go. I think I used it for like nearly two months, I'd say, did I? Maybe a bit longer. Yeah. Like I gave it a go. Yeah, you were using it for a while. It I, was last summer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, last year, yeah. Um, I didn't really, I suppose, inverted commas here now, feel like I need it, but I just <laughs> wanted to experiment with it and see what would happen. And yeah. I don't really feel I gained much of it, bar one thing. And I thought this was very a useful trait especially if you're uh, in a fluster is being an observer of your thoughts rather than participating in them which I think is very yeah. useful um, when you are in a situation where you might be stressed and um, obviously a lot of people are very stressed right now depending on their situation and it kind of teaches you to this is what I took from it anyway is to look at your thoughts so in one of them they talk about sitting on a park bench and watching traffic go by and the traffic is your thoughts and kind of removing yourself from those thoughts and observing them and then obviously if you want to extrapolate further than that you can think about why those thoughts are happening and have a little bit more of a a robotic view of your thoughts for a period just so you can assess what's going on and I think that's a very useful trait um, yeah and that's kind of what so I was that's saying. like Joe the, the kind of taking a step back and being an observer of something like that's mindfulness is what that is you know like uh, like having one degree of separation between the person who makes the who is having these thoughts or is having these uh, kind of emotions and then the person who's observing or living through the thoughts or living through the emotions so mindfulness is like a huge buzzword at the moment you know you have like the cam app you have the headspace app you have all these different uh, influencers talking about mindfulness uh, and meditation and all these things Have but that's that's what mindfulness is you know it, it's like you can do so you can do mindful walks where you're uh, like walking in nature or whatever it is and you're observing everything around you and you're not trying to influence anything you're not trying to like if you're doing the exercise you spoke about where you're kind of observing your thoughts as they're coming uh you're not trying to influence those thoughts. So the whole thing of, of mindfulness is that you just observe, you don't try to influence an effect. Like you can do mindful eating where you're like picking up the Malteser, observing the Malteser, like all these things mm -hmm. are like, that's what mindfulness is in a kind of, in a microcosm. 
um, and I think it can be very useful. Like it can be very useful, as, as you said, especially now when almost everybody's or everybody worldwide has had a change of environment. It might be a small change. It might be a huge change. You might be working at home. You might not be. You might be training at home, whatever it is. Um, and it probably would be very, very good to take that kind of reflective moment every so often. Like you don't need to be fucking... It doesn't need to look like the Pablo Escobar meme where he's like standing on the edge of the the prison looking out over the town like Joe just looking really lonely and yeah, sad. Yeah, like yeah. Joe like moments of reflection will literally only take a moment. Like and it is it can be very, very useful. Uh on that note, have you noticed how many um how many people are armchair psychologists now about telling people how I feel it feels to me like a lot of projecting right now, uh people being like this is how you need to be happy. You just need to take it one day at a time. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like in a crisis, you know, it's how everyone's trying to be like, no, no, bro, I, I know how to do yeah. this. It's okay, there's no worry. But in reality, yeah. I feel like a lot of these people are telling this to themselves when they're posting this. They're trying to reassure themselves yeah. that this is how you're okay. Like, because they just start listening to your routine, yeah. how important it is to have a routine and doing stuff. You know, it's, yeah. I think really, for me, it seems like they're just literally going, okay, bro, you can do this. It's not a big deal. Just, um, <laughs> it's you, okay. It's okay. <laughs> like, start literally, um, like, projecting out what they want to tell themselves onto the Instagram, I suppose, and if it helps themselves ultimately, what's yeah. the big deal, I suppose. But it's funny. Like, I've noticed you, a huge uptrend of everyone being like, this is how you you guys are going to survive. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm, no, 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 I'm fine. There's no problem for me. I'm used to this. It's cool, but, bro. Uh, <laughs> uh, something interesting. Yeah, you if you want it, if you want to see a huge amount of that go on to LinkedIn uh, obviously like for work oh yeah I've like on LinkedIn a good bit and it's a lot of like uh, occupational health uh, it's a lot of health and safety it's a lot of like all these people who it's their job to kind of look after the well-being of the people in the office but it's it, realistically their job is never like Joe mindfulness for office workers their job is usually like uh, make sure there's no trip hazards around the office or that the boxes people don't have to lift are too heavy like uh, but now you see these micro articles everywhere about like staying staying safe while working at home yeah the four steps to mindfulness <laughs> Joe like or like how to be positive and, and you know just yeah 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 Um, on a training related note there is interesting we were talking about this yesterday is how you may if you suddenly start started training at home and this could go for literally any sport. You may revert back to old habits because a, a big change environment. You've been working on things recently. So old habits that you got rid of recently. So maybe in the last six, three to six months, say. So, for example, we'll just talk about weight for a second. You, you slow down your pull just before you get to your hip. And when you go home, you don't do your normal routine. Let's say you normally warm up with 10 minutes on the bike and you do 15 minutes of stretches and then you talk shit to the lads for another 10 minutes just to kind of flick the switch to get into the training mode. Whereas now you're yeah. going from your bedroom after being at home all day, maybe you're working at home and then you walk out into the gym or your shed slash garden, backyard, wherever. And yeah. then you're just kind of, let's be realistic, you're being a little bit lazy with your warm up and then you start straight onto the bar and then suddenly all habits start coming in because you're not used to the gym. This is a new bar you bought. It's not a really good bar. It's just kind of a shitty 200 euro bar. Maybe you're used to something that's cost maybe like an Aleco, like a thousand euro. It spins a little better. Plates are a bit weird. None of your friends around. You're outside. 
your neighbors are watching yeah. you walk past dogs are barking and then what ends up happening is you start like really slowing down just before you come to your hip because it's a habit you're trying to get rid of or you use you bend your elbows all the time to clean and now suddenly you're rowing them into your hip again and that's kind of one yeah. of those things where i was talking about being an observer of what's happening and trying to figure out especially in this situation is what you're doing because of what's happened to you and trying to be aware of and trying to address what's happening and just a lot of times i think we just don't consider what's happening we don't take a second to think about why am i missing my jerks you just think okay i'm gonna go again i'm gonna go again i'm gonna go again yeah. instead of just taking yeah, a minute yeah. of being potentially this is what i really like about video feedback especially if you have no coach and a lot of people especially in this situation now don't is um is just looking uh, now this is for mostly for wasters i suppose in, in this regard is just look at the video for a second and being like, what does this look like? Especially if you have a video library of all your lifts. Why does this jerk look different than the other jerk? Because I know a lot of times, like, like it was kind of fits that brought this to my attention is that people do kind of uh, revert back to old behavior because I suppose it's the most comfortable behavior, really, is that it's kind of what's, it's what's yeah. most natural. Well, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a reason you got that habit in the first place, you know. So if you're, uh, like, old behaviors or bad habits were... Uh, okay, that you're catching everything like a power clean instead of it being a full clean. That could be because you're not warming up properly and the bottom position is now unstable and very, very tight when you try and catch a bear all the way down the bottom. So then you just start power cleaning it. That can be... That can automatically go away if you're training in a gym that has really nice mobility equipment, a nice kind of soft rubber floor that you can lie down on and stretch before you start training... Uh, it might have kind of air bikes or whatever rowers or whatever that you'll use to warm up and then when you go back to training at home your warm up suddenly just goes to being like a few air squats a few squats with the bear and then you start doing your cleans and then you mightn't even realise that you're not doing full cleans anymore you're just your body will automatically start doing powers because you're not like able to accept weight in that position I think we see that happen a lot you know, for, for weightlifters, this situation is actually the best of all possible for other sports. This is, if you can afford to buy your own stuff, you can literally train as normal, no problem, if you have the right mindset. For a lot of people, yeah. I saw some, uh, it just was like, like a collage of pictures of uh, elite athletes training at home. And for people like, uh, there was like a fencer... Uh, there was a triathlon so he a German triathlon at least was on their balcony on their stationary bike or on a turbo trainer and uh, yeah. obviously so this is very difficult for him so obviously he can cycle and run but going for a swim somewhere or long distance cycles or long distance runs is very difficult if you, well, a lot of countries might have a limit how far you can leave from your house but for weightlifters if you have say two meter squared area and <laughs> eight foot above your head or maybe say ten foot and you can buy you have luckily you're fortunate enough to have the finances to buy you enough equipment you can seamlessly continue training you might have better training sessions because you don't have to travel to the gym you may not have to commute to work you can be very smart with your nutrition you get way more rest there is ways of looking at this instead of being yeah. oh i can't train the lads my coach can't see me you can be like yeah i have so much more opportunities to train now i don't have social obligations that i feel like i have to go do um you can train to the best of your extent like Clarence is um is training at home right now I don't know if you've seen some of his videos he released 
and his training yeah. is going phenomenal. I think he's attempted 190 again a few times. Uh, but yeah. if you're, I saw this picture of a swimmer and he is, so he's torso, so he's lying uh, prone, right? So he's, he's torso yeah. supported by two crates of, uh, I think he was a German swimmer actually, like two crates of beer basically. So yeah. The, the glass bottles and his legs are yeah, yeah, yeah. supported by a chair and he has essentially these gloves that are attached to a resistance band and he's just going through the motions of swimming but I assume the resistance bands are t- tension so it feels like he's pushing through water you know that situation yeah. and he's going to the Olympics so he's not just a hobbyist weightlifter he is his whole livelihood depends on this situation and he may have another three months yeah. of doing this and obviously swimming pools are one of the first things to go and probably one of the last things to open yeah. so he's in a situation where he's his whole his whole life has been not only his sport of choice what he loves but it's all messed up you know but he obviously had the mindset to be, how can I make the best of this situation? Yeah. And now he's gone after doing that. So I think especially in this situation, we probably wouldn't be talking so much about this if this was recorded another time, but it's, I suppose it's very relevant right now. But, yeah. um, so I suppose if we go on to like the first uh, little point on mindset or the first kind of pro tip, if we're to make it nice and clickbaity, yeah. uh, is going to be hugely applicable to the kind of home training people or people who are training in different environments now and that'll be like framing or cognitive framing uh i think will be a really really good way to up your game uh no matter what sport you're doing so if just to give you a bit of background so framing is basically taking where you are cognitively now uh figuring out where you need to be so say i have left work it's half five I'm going to go and train in the gym or whatever it is. So I have this kind of this mental state that I'm in after a day's work, which may be uh, I could be tired, which I can't do a huge amount about. I could be stressed. I could be uh, like super happy and elated because something went wrong or something went right. I could be like very, very low mood because something went wrong. So what you need to do is the first step of framing will be looking at the kind of uh, the state you're in at the moment. So that might just be saying, uh, look, okay, I'm tired. So cognitively, I'm not that sharp. I'm pissed off because whatever it is didn't happen today that I wanted to happen today. Uh, And then the last thing might be I'm anxious about... uh, that it's somebody's birthday and I haven't gotten them a birthday present or whatever that is. So if you take those three things, then you're going to look, the next step will be looking at where you need to be cognitively to train at your best or to play or perform at your best. So for weightlifting, that might be, I need to be focused. So I'm not going to be getting distracted by my phone or by other people around or by the dog or whatever it is. Then once I'm focused, I'm going to need to be able to reach high levels of like stimulation or arousal. So I need to be able to get like in inverted commas hyped up when I need to. Um, And then I need to be able to, uh, what will the last one be? I need to be able to kind of have a prolonged period of focus. So I need to be able to concentrate. I need to be able to get hyped. And then I know that this will only last for two hours but it has to last that whole two hours. So then I'm going to take just maybe two or three minutes. I'll try and just, I've observed now the mental state I'm in currently, which was a bit stressed, a bit tired and a bit whatever it was. 
I'm then just going to say, okay, look, I've observed that that's how I am now. I'm now just going to take these next few minutes to try and observe where I need to go to. So if I know I need to concentrate for the next two hours, all I'm going to do is just try and relax as best as possible. Now, I might take two or three minutes to do this. Just relax as best as possible. I'll put my phone away. I'm just going to sit there and actually just sit. I'm not going to be getting my knee sleeves pulled on. I'm not going to be uh, looking at my phone. I'm not going to be opening up my training log and looking at last week's session. All I'm doing is just sitting and just trying to get into a kind of mental state where I'm ready. I think taking this like two minutes before every training session, or it mightn't even be for training sessions, it might be uh, before a meeting, it might be before whatever it is you're going to do, and just try and frame out the last kind of set of cognitive stimulus that you had, and now you're going to bring in this new kind of protocol and understand where you need to be. Is that similar to the framing you've done in the past, Kerf? Um... I think I keep a lot of things in terms of framing my head to like very individual sessions and it usually starts earlier in the day for me. So okay. kind of right now or like so as peripherally, I'm always thinking, um, usually I kind of have this funny internal battle in my head sometimes. Uh, so earlier in the day, and this has been going on for years now. So I'll be, let's say, I can remember doing this far as back as the time where I'm going Today you're going to double 112 and a half in the snatch. This is how far, how far long ago yeah, this, yeah. this still happens. And I'll tell myself I'm going to do it earlier in the day. I'm going to, because I know, so these won't be outlandish things. I'm not going to be saying something akin to, I'm going to clean and jerk 280 kilos today. You know, it's, or I'm going to squat 250 yeah, yeah, for yeah. 40 reps. No, these aren't, these are realistic expectations of an individual training session. If the training session is going to go well. So earlier in the day, yeah. I'll be, say something to myself similar to, I will double 107 and a half in the snatch tonight. And then about halfway through the day, I'll be like, Jesus, I don't know you're able to do that at all. And then an hour <laughs> or two later. And now these aren't like aggressive arguments with myself. It'll just peripherally pop into my mind. Kind of unbidden. Uh, they're not obtrusive, you know, not in the truest sense of word OCD thoughts. They're just drifting slowly a little bit and I'll be thinking about it. And uh they're not upsetting thoughts kind of that way I just don't want, I don't want people to think that I need to flick the light switch five times to think about these but it was because I'm always thinking about training so they'll drift in I'll be like you know you are able to do that and then an hour later I'll be like you're still able to do that and then it'll even get so far as to when I'm warming up it'll be jeez I don't know you're able for that today but as the weights are going on I know I've already made the decision and I've done this so often in my head that I know it's already happening that I know I'm going to do that today you know it, it's funny how you you can let these thoughts creep in. And I think these kind of situations, and inevitably what will happen very often is I will end up doing that or more. I will end up doing that double at 107 or I'll end up doing more. Now often, of course, it doesn't happen, but it, that may not be because I didn't think I was going to do it. That may be because I just am very tired that day or wasn't good enough or something else is going wrong. But I think these kind of situations now where you're training at home, and if you've never trained at home, it may expose how you were never really fully internalizing what you should have been doing. You may have been relying on the environment an awful lot or your peers, or you may be relying on what you're going to put on social media rather than realizing where the internal kind of motivation was coming from and why you were doing that in that session. 
and I feel um, but th- this still goes on today for me. I think that kind of um, not weakness of thought, but um, it's it's more of a a overcoming self doubt in some ways. Is what I would feel yeah. like. Um, it's very rare. It it's always gone after the session as well. Is one thing I always find with that as well for me. Is that after that session, I don't ever think about what I was thinking about earlier that day. Those thoughts, if I didn't do well, I don't beat myself up over that particular argument, internal argument, I suppose. And these are kind of things that I imagine people who are cyclists or triathlon or people who have extended periods of intensive exercise or training have to overcome every single second. And I can only imagine how difficult that must be in in those environments, especially if you're in a race. Every five minutes you're trying to convince yourself that you're able to do this and for us it's uh in weightlifting it's over in maybe 1.5 seconds two three seconds for a double or a single yeah you know it's um it's kind of hard and fast in the way of the results or 10 seconds if your pull is slow enough <laughs> or if you're doing a double inverted commas and it takes you a minute and a half to do it um so for me the framing is um it's always kind of an, it, there's always an internal dialogue and I think I'm realistic in individual sessions, but then long-term goals for me would be a lot more, um, would be extreme, but yeah. I'm always very positive with the outcomes more often than not. Um, like for example, there's a period there where I had PB'd my clean and jerk in three, two and a half years or something like that. Yeah. But that sustained me now for the last year of hitting that PB. Yeah. And as time goes on, you obviously, your ability to sustain your training, even when the PBs are hidden behind a lot of fog, you know, of what, where you're going to end up or when is it going to happen is, um, I think is very important for me. Uh, but I think for, in this kind of situation, like I was saying, I think a lot of people, it, it could be a good, it could be a good position to figure out how, what have you been avoiding like what thoughts have you been avoiding yeah you know instead of going up by yourself you waited till one of the lads is like you should definitely go up that look really easy and you're like oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah or what I think a lot of people will find is they're not able to hype themselves up by being alone yeah. in their shed I think a lot of people will find that very hard they won't have their I pe- think it'd be a good time to go and review the how to get hyped for training uh, podcast what number was that that was a good while ago do a mini cast on it uh, yeah, we could do a mini cast on it because That'd I think be a, good idea. a lot of people you won't have other people training. It may be raining yeah. outside. It may be pretty dark and cold in your gym. You don't have anyone training with you. You've just come from. You've been working from home, so you've come straight from that environment. You're not used to your bar. The platform's not the best. Physically, you're able to do this, but you may suddenly realize that you're not able to internally activate that kind of cascade of getting hyped up yeah and I think I think a lot of people are going to realise that that it's it's uh, that new change environment is something that's um, that can be difficult if you've never trained alone by yourself for people who have trained alone yeah. before it's returning to kind of a homeostasis if that's where you started from yeah 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 I would like if it was me and yeah I, I'd definitely give framing a go I definitely do like what you're talking about as well of like being a small bit more uh introspective with your thoughts of, of just like running through them and trying to figure out what what the kind of genesis of each of those thoughts is um and just seeing like like 
be they positive or negative thoughts, like they mightn't necessarily be bad things at the moment. Like even a negative thought isn't a bad thing. Yeah. If you're having a negative thought, uh, say if you're like, oh, Jesus, I, geez, I'm not sure if I can snatch this now. It, it's on the program to do this today. Like there could be a very, very, very good reason you are having a negative thought around that. And that's because you mightn't actually be able to do the snatch. And your, your body is like, please don't make us do this. You'll break it. Like, you know, it's yeah. like you're, you've those thoughts for a reason. Um, and a lot of the time, I think, especially in weightlifting, because clerking weights is such a big issue and uh, people like, in inverted commas, like bitching out of, of snatches in particular and jerks uh, is such a big issue when people are, are starting that we kind of we automatically think it's a bad thing to have a negative thought around uh, kind of like missing a weight or, or, or having any bit of hesitation around missing a weight. Like, that's not always a bad thing. You're having those thoughts for a reason. And maybe if you've missed it 10 times in the last two weeks, you shouldn't be going for it. And there's a very good reason you're having that negative thought. I think important too, in that regard, is you should have training sessions or training sessions where you are intimidated by what you're doing. So on yeah. one hand, like Dara was saying, you may have a training session plan that you're not able to do. Hopefully that is not the case very often. Hopefully you are very aware of what you're able to do. But at the same time, a lot of time those those internal battles I'm having with myself are pre-sessions where it's something I'm well able to do, but it's also pushing new limits. And ultimately, I think that's very important for training. Um, I'm not sure... For other sports, for weightlifting, part of thing, it's very easy for us to visualize our limits. There is a very objective physical limit for us yes. that we know that we can load onto a bar. We can physically see it. We know what it looks like. We can imagine that limit in our heads. And then you very often, when I'm thinking about those internal dialogues or those internal battle, I'm seeing the situation. Yeah. And I feel like it's very important that you do have situations like that in training where you're pushing new boundaries. For someone like a sprinter, you can't physically represent a time in your head. It's very hard to see what that... You can't load up a sub 12 seconds, 100 meters in your head. You can't yeah. see what that situation looks like. You can you yeah, can remember yeah, the track. Yeah. I, but for other people, it's a little bit more difficult. Like swimming, uh, field sports in general, then is very difficult because there's so many random dynamics that happen in, in a pitch that no match is ever the same. It's like a deck of cards. You may yeah. have You may never get the same shuffle. So on I the think pitch. the other thing is, is if you're like a field sport athlete and you're saying, oh, I want to, I want to take like the next step or I want to be the next level of athlete. And this is today now is going to be the big thing. And like, if you're lucky enough to play on a team that are kind of uh, like stat centered, where, you know, you want to make certain amount of tackles, you want to make certain hit a certain amount of rocks, uh, whatever, score a certain amount of points, that's still not like in a squad, it's very, very simple because you put 10 kilos extra on, you unrack the bar and you try and do a squat and you either make it or you don't make it. Whereas with the field sports stuff, it's so difficult. You know, you can try and make 10 extra tackles in a game, but if people aren't running down your channels and you're not able to get here or you're having to hit this amount more rocks or, or the game is a slower tempo or the game is a much faster tempo, it's almost impossible for you to say today I'm going to make the 10 extras Joe and, and know for a fact that you're going to make it whereas like in weightlifting it's so simple we just throw an extra plate on each side and you either do it or you don't 
and very often with weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit as well, you've been in that exact situation before. You've had that exact bar loaded. You've been on those rings. You've know exactly what the air down or the salt bike feels like. But you can't imagine the players in the field or you can't, this, this situation has such a little chance of, they will never meet the exact same situation again. So there's definitely different demands for field sports um for athletics and stuff like that i suppose again we kind of have you're somewhere in the middle there you have all the links that will always be the same uh you'll be in the same the disc will be the same the shot put the javelin so you have a little bit more advantage for and our sports like that are over a lot quicker in some ways like the the actual event so you can you can really nail down something which fits talks about a lot as a pre-performance routine so we have a video on our youtube channel about that so our shot putters or our throwers or our weightlifters or powerlifters we have an awful lot of control over our situation right before we begin the action of our sport so just before you pull the bar just before you squat the bar just before you go do your long jump or you throw your disc you have massive amounts of control over what happens before that and to an extent not a great extent of over what happens when you do that but when you're playing against other people or when you're martial arts or jiu-jitsu, you, you have to be really prepared to change your mindset right in the middle. You have to have prepared for all eventualities. Like, for example, jiu-jitsu, you're, you're very often, you can practice moves, of course, and skill. Or in rugby, like Dara was saying, you can practice rocks in training. But you playing, when you're playing your sport in the middle, there's a, there's, I think it's in terms of mindset, it's, um, it can be very difficult like you know yeah. there's kind of uh if a team is losing there's like it's in the air almost and everyone starts slowly coming down you know and, and trying to overcome that for everyone to change is um it's very difficult and it, it has yeah. a whole a whole set of challenges yeah 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 so then what would you think would be another good step in kind of upping your game in terms of uh for field sports stuff like that no in terms of probably for uh, like barbell sports well that's easy I suppose is, is one where you're um, you do nail down that routine all the time an old PPR PPR the old performance routine yeah yeah I could what would you do for field sports though my undergrad final year project if you want <laughs> <laughs> what would you do for for field sports or people like MMA or to like, an extent CrossFit it, too I think is um is a little bit kind of in between those then again I do two things so if you're listening and you're in one of those categories of where you have a lot less control um, and you have done all the other things of stepping up your game and you know you want something around mindset I do two things first thing I do is I'd have a really kind of comprehensive goal setting structure um, I'd have a kind of a list of goals that are both process and outcome driven um, across a range of, of time periods so like we've done we've done a podcast on goal setting haven't we um, I think we have uh, I feel like we, we better check have. that <laughs> so yeah I'd have short term medium and long term goals I'd have goals that are kind of easy wins at the moment like uh, low hanging fruit if you get what I mean I'd also have goals that are lofty um, and are going to force me to kind of really, really push hard. So I'd have a comprehensive list of goals 
that really focus on the process of, of what I'm trying to do. Then what I do is I look to shifting my mindset. Like I might be somebody who's very, very outcome driven. So uh, if I'm a rugby player and I have to win all these, like I have to win nine out of 12 games for me to be anyway happy or I have to be scoring 30% of the points per game in my position or whatever it is what I then look at being is is trying to make a, a slow shift from being outcome driven so like a lot of the time people like that who are outcome driven if they don't get the outcomes they can become very very down uh, they're not going to have good performances then if they have if they've had a, a string of poor outcomes because they're now not able to focus they're not driven by what they should be driven by uh, where somebody who's process driven even if the outcomes aren't coming so if they if they understand the process and their process is uh, having a good attitude of training doing their things outside of training well uh, being a good team player bringing it when they need to bring it on the field and being disciplined when they're playing games if they're say if those are the four steps that they've identified in their process for them to be the best player possible uh even if the results aren't coming then then they still have a sense of control over what they're doing so if i'm a goal kicker and i so there's two two groups. One is outcome driven, the other is process driven. So if there's two goal kickers uh and they one of them, the outcome driven one, has to make nine out of every ten kicks. If he doesn't make nine out of every ten kicks, he's fucking depressed. He hates it. Uh or he might be that he wants to uh have the majority of the scoring every game, whatever it is. If those results aren't coming, he's not going to be happy. But in rugby, you don't have control over where the kick is taken from. So you could constantly be getting penalties outside the 10 meter line and your coaching staff or whoever it is is making the, or your captain is making the decision for you to kick. So then you suddenly have a very low, like depending on your kicking efficacy, uh, you have a very low uh, percent kick every time or you might have... Uh, your wingers are constantly scoring tries out in the corner and all your kicks are being taken from the sideline of the field. So then you're then taking low percentage kicks all the time. If you're somebody who's only outcome driven, so if you're the first person in that example, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to stay motivated if you're missing kicks, but you're missing very, very low percentage kicks, if you get what I mean. These are kicks that people don't expect a kicker to make every single time. Uh, They're not like a kind of gimme. If you have the second kicker then who's very process driven, so he's still having to take these low percentage kicks, he's still being told to kick from outside the 10 meter line or the conversion kicks are coming from the sideline and are very, very difficult kicks. If he's saying, uh, okay, I have to do my uh, two small sessions per week with the kicking coach or with the other kickers on the team, so I know when I do those two sessions, I'm a better kicker. I have to do my mobility work before uh, training so I have a really, really good follow through on the ball and my leg can come up after I kick. And then the last thing might be uh, I'm working on my mental imagery and my pre-performance routine once a week at home when I'm not at training. If that kicker is then doing all those things, so he might have three or four or five things in his process, 
and he's having to take those low percentage kicks because he doesn't get to control where the kicks are taken from. He still has a sense of control over, like, he doesn't have control over where he's kicking from and if the ball is going to go over or not because they're very, very difficult. But he has a huge amount of control over what he's doing outside of just that kind of, that game situation. So then if you're process-driven, he still feels like he's achieving things all the time and he's following his process and he's doing the best he can possibly do. And then when these kind of curveballs get thrown at him, he just takes them. He knows he's done all his work possible to do that. He's then going to be motivated by the fact that he's following the process, not just by the fact that if it's an outcome or not, uh, versus somebody who is outcome driven and is going to be depressed if they miss more than two out of every 10 kicks or whatever. What I um, what I really like about the, um, <clears throat> the process driven mindset is it can be a great reality check. And I mean that in, in ways of addressing if you're doing something wrong, but also if you've had a bad day, you may be doing, still doing things right overall. So let's say you've had a really shit day in training, regardless of whatever your sport is. And if you, what I kind of imagine, what I visualize the process driven mindset in my head, because in weightlifting, we think about things sometimes in terms of total tonnage lifted over the course of a month uh, or reps over 90%. Well, I also kind of, put in a matrix there of like a third dimension of quality those reps are important for me too so in my head I visualise a graph and if I think back to a starting point say an arbitrary starting point maybe six months prior to when I started a new kind of training block or cycle and when I think about it in this way first of all if I want to look at the process driven mindset in terms of upping myself when I've had a shit day like realising that that day is not so shit so if I, I imagine this graph in my head and hopefully at the starting point we've started at zero whatever that is and then slowly if I look at quality of reps going up in my head and for me luckily recently it has been so I imagine this graph moving slowly upwards and kind of curving towards the top is quality of reps on one axis and time on the uh, x-axis and the quality of reps on the y-axis and also kind of tonnage so reps over 90 is going up slowly all the time so over the course of a month it's still going up very well like my technique if you're being very honest with yourself, and this is a very important part of, I think, process-driven mindsets, is if this is going up, and if you can imagine, and how I imagine in my head, so if I have a bad session on that day, I imagine where I am in that time point, let's say I'm six months down the line, and I think back to the arbitrary starting point, and I think about how far I've come in that regard, and while that dip, you know, if you can imagine like any kind of graph, like a stocks or whatever like that, you imagine that little dip, while in the micro, it looks terrible, but if you think back six months ago, you're... 80% farther along up that fucking y-axis than you would have been otherwise and I think that's very useful when you have a bad day is you think you know what overall things are going in the great direction now yeah. I think the the flip side of this coin is if you're having a lot of bad days it may be a little slap in the face to realise that you know you've been fucking things up you haven't been doing the right thing <laughs> you haven't been following a programme maybe you have been following a programme your programme's not working now obviously Again, it's all about how you frame that kind of thought. Maybe you think, right, well, I've learned what's not useful for me. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be you're a dumbass kind of thing. It can be kind of, you know, maybe, um, maybe my training doesn't get better when I do low bar for weightlifting. Maybe I have to do high bar. And you can, yeah. you can beat yourself up for wasting six months or you can beat, you can, you can just note it down that, you know what, this doesn't work for my training and you've eliminated another training possibility and then you can move on and you know you're narrowing down what makes you better all the time, yeah. I think. So that's what I think is very useful about the process of mindset if you 
that's how I visualize my head anyway. If anyone needs to kind of think about it that way, obviously you can visualize it by making that Excel graph and writing it down if you're diligent about your training. But do you ever imagine things in graph, or do you always imagine things like graphs in your head? Well, how else would I imagine them? <laughs> <laughs> I think for that's how I see the process of mindset in my head is a is like a graph, and we have starting points. But see, the problem is. <laughs> On the y-axis, it's kind of uh, an existential kind of, uh, it's like a smoky quality, like quality of reps is important yeah. too, so just numbers wouldn't be good enough for me. So you could have a separate graph in your head as you want, as well as like just technique getting better, a yeah. separate from percentage over 90% hit. That's, right. You know, if you want to have two graphs in your head, um, yeah, that might be a lot for some people to have two graphs. And would you run those graphs concurrently, like no, 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 one no, on no, top no, of the other? No, 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 they're no. separate. They're on the same page, oh. but they're opposite of each other. Like they're, same but different. They're same but different, you know. <laughs> but that's what I really like about the mind, the process of mindset is if it it really helps the bad days, uh, and it may also be a kick in the teeth. But ultimately, if you're in a, if you're in in your sport to be better than the in kick the in the teeth, it may be what you need. <laughs> in the teeth or in the teeth? Teeth. Teeth. Um, we also identified the fact that myself and Garf actually say like a lot. Yeah, we did. I, I've uh, stopped. I mean, this, this has gotten a lot better, this podcast. It's just very annoying. We probably have a load of other really, really annoying, uh, like, Carconian things or Irish things, like pronouncing words wrong. Uh, but your luck. <laughs> That's one there. Um, <laughs> so... For me, that personally is how I I deal with the the bad days yeah why would you deal with them uh, so yeah w- like you're calling that a kind of process mindset I'd call that like a a period of re- or like reflection or or something along those lines like all these there's a load of like psychological interventions of like journaling uh reflection like all the uh, gratitude interventions there's all these different things that basically do the same thing so if i'm say if i was training for some strange reason uh and i was uh whatever things aren't going well and i was looking to kind of improve my performance or basically i was just getting sick of of uh how i felt i was performing what i would do is i'd Pick an arbitrary point, so it might be uh, three years ago, it might be four years ago, whatever it was when I was still doing the sport, I'd say, okay, these are the five markers that matter for me, so that might be uh, one rep max snatch, one rep max clean and jerk, uh, back squat, uh, quality of of the lifts, and how many sessions I was doing per week. What I do is I then look back to whatever I was doing back then and I'd say, okay, I used to train six times a week. These were my one rep maxes and whatever the quality of the lift was this good because I have this video to look at. Then I'd look at where I am now and I'd look at some period in between. So then I can kind of see like exactly what you're saying is that graph in my head or that like graph of however I'm progressing. Um And look, it might be something that I haven't progressed. If you look back to a period two years ago when you were a hell of a lot better, uh, you were training less or you might have had a lower body weight or whatever it is, then it might be important just, as you're saying, to give yourself the kick in the teeth and and, uh, say, look, okay, this needs to change. Like, it's important that these kind of interventions aren't always 
ah no she, you're doing great yeah so there's Joe like it, it's like the thing again of, of you being like fuck it maybe I won't make this snatch there, there could be a reason that you think training isn't going well and it could be that training isn't going well uh, so that's that's personally what I do if I think training isn't going well or if I fucking no motivation to train or whatever it is I pick a point back three, four, five years ago whenever um, and I just do a little comparison and kind of dwell on those thoughts for a while Do you want to talk about the um, pre-performance routine in other sports? So in weightlifting and part of thing, it's, it's the pre-performance routine it can be kind of um, be a little bit easier to enact because the bar will always be in the same place. It'll always be stationary and you can kind of walk up to the bar and you can go, I'm yeah. going to grip my left hand, I'll grip my right hand and then do whatever, you know. But how would you yeah. go about doing it if you're, let's say you're a, a long jumper, you know, you, you can't physically grasp the sand pit or whatever. Yeah, so for that, what, what I tend to, like they have, like all those kind of jumps have very, very extensive pre-performance routines. Uh and what you need to make sure, like, it's hitting those same bases again. So if you look at the YouTube video, it's like, uh, make sure it's like encompassing all senses. It's not just a kind of visualization in your head. You should be thinking about everything. Uh, there should be like real time kind of positive cueing in your head. So you're thinking like whatever that those thoughts need to be. Um, so I, I'd go back to that, make sure it's like a fundamentally sound pre-performance routine. And then what I'd start doing is actually practicing that away from the arena. So like away from training, away from everything else. And you'd be practicing it with a small bit of like mental imagery stuff. So I'm imagining myself doing the pre-performance routine. Then I'm imagining myself uh, carrying out the action. So like if it is like a triple jump or a long jump or whatever, I'm probably just, just sitting there at home at like my desk or whatever. I'm like timing should be the same every time it's like uh okay set my left foot set my right foot rock back rock forward rock back rock forward i'll drop my chin whatever it is start your sprint and then you're running through doing a jump like executing the movement in your head standing up taking a sec and then the same way as you'd like walk back to the start of the board or whatever it is you're jumping off uh you'd like walk back in your mind that like those mental imagery sessions shouldn't be more than 20 minutes i think most of the studies now we're saying like between 18 and 22 minutes for like a mental imagery training session yeah that's what i'd be doing yeah uh, it's a so long it time for a lot like, of people <laughs> the thing is it's a very short time compared to what people were doing in the past uh <clears throat> oh really we're doing a lot like, longer yeah, like 45 minutes or an hour because this would be like if you're an elite sport, you'd be working with a, a sports psychologist or a performance psychologist or whatever they are. Uh, if you were so like you athletes don't like to travel somewhere to do 15 minutes of work with a, a psychologist, you know, so that the sessions used to be a lot longer, but they're they're actually cutting those down now where most of the studies, I think, was brown did a meta-analysis and yeah they're finding that like it wasn't a meta actually I think you might have actually done a trial uh, yeah I think 18 to 22 minutes seems to be optimal like if you're has there been any huh? go on no no go on has there been any kind of I'm sure someone must have done this but visual 
are like CAT scans of brain activity during visual representation of their sports. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah like, I assume it's quite significant going through the actions in their head of uh, like if it was elite athletes now, someone who's yeah, very it's well identical. Along. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. I've, I have seen one before where they did it with people who had no experience shot putting and they broke them into one group where they put them in a dark room and they got them to visualize shot putting and then the other group trained yeah. a little bit of shot putting and the group who did the visualization oh no sorry one group didn't do i think it was no shot putting and then the other group did the visualization so they tested yeah. their whatever their max was and then the, so the group who did the visualization ended up increasing their pb even though they didn't do any training like six weeks later or seven weeks later yeah, is, yeah, um, yeah i think it's very interesting there's some there's some very cool stuff with uh with seeing images as you're performing your sport so uh seeing so they've done these in rowing where you're concurrently getting visual cueing so like if you imagine you're on a rowing machine yeah and you have so one group will just row like they're told to do whatever one group will see a video of themselves rowing as it's happening hmm. and then one group will see a video of themselves as it's happening and then with an elite rower kind of superimposed over the top <clears throat> So then what they find is like you're obviously when you can see yourself doing it, you're like cueing yourself into a slightly better position because um, there's like a certain amount of pre-training they'd done with people to show them like this is good rowing technique, this is bad rowing technique. Uh, but then when they overlaid an, an elite performer over the top of them, obviously their performance increased again. So they're kind of cool. I think they were done in Limerick actually um, or somebody associated with Limerick. Is this like the ghost car on time trials on like Colin McRae or something? Yeah, WRC? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what a game. Right. Any think, more points on stepping up your game for mindset? I'm just thinking about a lot of the kind of the best athletes we've ever met. Uh, yeah. The kind of commonalities between them. What I, what's bringing to mind at the moment is mostly it's intrinsic, the hype in them. So if you think about yeah. Gabriel, there's no shouting. Uh, Clarence, there's nothing really. Miso has a little bit of kind of, there's a little bit of feedback between them, between yeah, the coaches. But there's, there's it's it's still very intrinsic with Miso. Yeah, yeah you it's know, really like, internal. Yeah. Um, but if you look at the videos of like the Chinese weightlifters or Japanese, they actively shout at each other. They actively, some yeah. will make an incoherent roar. And someone else will incoherently roar back at them. And it's like, it's before lifts with like 60 kilos, like with the bar, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, But then when you go move to powerlifting, we see the mindset is, is it's like, it's highly intense. Like it's a very aroused situation. People are very much involved with you in that lift or the announcer yeah. will be literally screaming at you before you go yeah, make the lift. Yeah, yeah. Um and I wonder then is it people who are like that drift towards the sport or does the sport mold those people or a bit of both? Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? Yeah. That it if is. it I think uh, environment definitely and like their peers has a huge amount to do with that though, because you've seen I've seen people who I've known before they start training at whatever gym like and they uh Joe, they'd just be like normal. They wouldn't be fucking going hard on the smelling salts or like anything before training. 
Yeah. Uh, and then you see them like six months later and they're training with whatever group um, and they're fucking lunatics. Like, I think it's hard in a, if you're training in a place where everybody gets really, really hyped up and it's like the done thing to get super, super hyped. Uh, I think it's very difficult not to do that. Um, it's funny the hype then for field sports is you cannot maintain that hype. You cannot maintain the adrenaline you would have prior to a one RM snatch or a squat, yeah, or deadlift like that. That kind of hype is almost certainly malproductive, maladaptive, yeah. even sorry, non-productive kind of for for your for your sport. You like when you're trying to take a free kick probably the last thing you want to do is be absolutely <laughs> hyped off your tits like to be incredibly yeah. aroused like to be in a very high state of arousal and that's why most pre-performance routines around those kind of uh, closed skills or like semi-closed or whatever skills uh, are very much focused around relaxation and kind of centering and making sure we're like kind of in control everything is smooth and relaxed like whereas in weight in powerlifting and weightlifting we're like fucking nah Joe, like seeing red in weightlifting then though you need kind of you need an in between you need a 50 50 yeah. you want to yeah, be aroused yeah, to yeah. a state where you're going to give this your best attempt but you also don't want to lose your fine motor skills i was asking yeah. gabriel about this recently so he did some lifts uh he's done some he's done a lot of lifts he's done more than some but he's done some phenomenally huge lifts in terms of what they were against the world records now and then and I was asking him, do you remember the training sessions when you did one in 2011? He snatched 190 as an 80, I think like 88 kilos. And for anyone who's not a weightlifter, this weight is just astronomical. This is similar yeah. to running a sub 9.8 seconds in, in sprinting or whatever. Like it's it's truly a huge, it's 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 so hard to explain how big a lift this is if you're not a weightlifting but there is equivalence in other sports and try imagine something that's insane in your sport and this is the equivalent of this and I was asking him were do you remember the session he said I did and he, I was asking him did you were you thinking about anything did you know you were going to go for it this session he said no he said he knew it was coming up eventually but he what this particular session wasn't planned for this particular weight he knew he would go for a heavy lift when he felt good, but right now, like that very day, he wasn't saying, I'm going to snatch 190 that day. And I think that's happened a yeah, lot too yeah. for me in weightlifting. You kind of have to let the, you have to be ready to seize your advantages. And so he was, I was asking him, do you, you think about anything in particular? Were you thinking about anything for the lift? Were you queuing yourself before your lift? Were you thinking, I need to pull fast or I need to turn over my elbows quick or I need to, whatever, you know, I just, yeah. any arbitrary cue. And he said, no, he's, he was not thinking about any of that stuff, which I thought was very interesting. He was not thinking yeah. about that. Um, he was just thinking, he was just seeing himself do the good lift. He saw himself visualizing. He just saw the good lift in his head. So I thought it was very interesting that he was not thinking about any cues, which was, yeah. for me, he spoke to him, his mastery of the lifts. But also yeah. it's interesting. And people have talked about this before. I haven't heard so much in the last years, but how because the actions of weightlifting happen so fast you don't if you have time to think about them you're going too slow and you know people when they hit a BB they and Gabriel kind of, definitely isn't going slow oh my god no he's not <laughs> but he was saying I was asking him were you afraid as well he was like no no definitely not afraid not nervous but he was he was hyped up like there was adrenaline you know yeah yeah um, yeah so I thought that, that that kind of thing is very interesting yeah mastery of a mindset I think is is very intrinsic to you as a person though I 
think it's very hard to learn a new mindset and this is something that could take years the problem is with mindset too is that you may never know you have a poor mindset you may not know you may not know you're in you're not approaching your mindset correctly for the most amount of your training which yeah. i think is um is the problem mindset like you may not consider another interesting note and probably like my last point on this would be that uh, mindset is re- like it's a mixture between state and trait so you have some people who are whatever they they have a uh, character trait of being uh, highly resilient or uh, very hard working or uh, very easy to get to high levels of aggression whatever those those traits might be but then you have different states that will come in and out through that so like a lot of the time people thought or up until fairly recently the kind of the thoughts in literature were that uh resilience was a trait and not a state but now most of the so like if you're listening to this like a state is something that's transient you go from one state to the other it it changes whereas a trait is something that's kind of a lot more permanent so you have like a trait like having blonde hair or trait like having blue eyes whatever that trait is it kind of stays at you so most of the research um and particularly in sport and performance psychology used to be that we viewed resilience as a a trait you just had it or you didn't have it you couldn't really change it whereas now we're kind of viewing it a lot more correctly uh as being a, a kind of a state that you'll come in and out of um so or that you might have different levels of resilience for different things in your life so somebody who might be incredibly resilient in their professional life may not be incredibly resilient in their personal life or whatever it is like that so i think it is with all this kind of mindset stuff is that it's important to to know that you can change it it's not something you're if you find it very very hard to be motivated now or you have very low levels of kind of self-restraint or whatever it may be is that like you can alter these things and, and it's not just something like you're not always going to be like this like if you work towards it you can get into a better kind of mental state um <clears throat> interesting you mentioned that actually because i was asking gabriel we we're just idly chatting there when we were doing the kind of i think a research for a little bit of an article on gaby poodles it's a uh, dissecting olympian <laughs> and just going through some of his specific training uh templates and what he was doing in training but also just kind of what was happening around the time from his early career to like the olympics kind of accumulation yeah. of his career and we just got talking about Ali Alien. So if you if you're not a weightlifter, uh, you may not know who Ali Alien is. But event- essentially, he was, he is, depending on who he is or was, depending on who's listening and whose opinion is the best weightlifter of our generation. So he was undefeated in international competition. Said he had world records in uh, three different weight classes. Um, he just won every international competition he did. Yeah. Ultimately, he ended up being retroactively tested positive for uh, performance enhancing drugs and one thing the biggest thing about Elliot was the level of he was an indomitable weight of there he was just unconquerable any weight no weight was too much for Elliot in competition when he went for it he won it like there was an example in 2014 worlds where he went for uh he so he clean he moved up a weight class he op- made his opener he went for a world record on his second attempt and missed it Subsequently, two other weightlifters set the world record. They broke it. The next weightlifter broke it again. And to win the worlds, he needed to beat the world record he just missed by three kilos, which is unexplainable. Like, it's 
that's an outrageous feat and he came out and did it so at that point his state of resilience was incredibly high like he was a master for that at least there was nobody better at his craft right there and then at that moment he was on top of the world yeah uh, so he subsequently tested positive and now he's nearly bombed in the last five competitions he's done he's um obviously he's not taking performance enhancing drugs anymore judging by his results and he is not he's just not the same man so interestingly physically he looks to still have very useful traits for weightlifting he physically he still has his speed power flexibility uh no injuries that we can see that are massive he doesn't seem to have had any major surgeries like his absolute strength numbers like he front squatted 260 again which is a great indicator of what he could be clean and jerking and i was asking gabriel like, just what do you think about Ilya or whatever the moments and he said he said it's just very very hard to be lifting to lift those weights for so many years all the time in training for such a long time that kind of like like you're saying there that resilience isn't just an trait Ilya's not always going to be Ilya if he doesn't work at it essentially yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like it's clearly like and so Ilya had a huge event in his in his weightlifting career where he he essentially tumbled from the mountain where he was knocked off and climbing back up that mountain at this stage in his career is um is not is not easy. Whereas no if you look at no. whereas you look at like Louis Arjun, who's a weightlifter who's thirty five now, who's still who who hit a competition PB only late last year, and now that kind of resilience is. But of course, resilience then as well is reliant on your environment. The support Lou, the Chinese weightlifter is getting, is massive, and yeah. he's been supported. He's been facilitated in that kind of resilience. But also, I suppose. You, you could get all the sport in the world and not be resilient. So it's um yeah yeah it's very impressive from Lou's point of view that he's been so good for so long. You know that kind of mindset is um but he said he's had new motivation over the years. So before it used to be kind of lifting to win, and now he said he lifts for his family and everyone who supports him for so long because he's such a big support base. He said he lifts for them as much as anything. And now yeah. he's lifting, he said before, he doesn't lift against his opponents, he only lifts against the world records. And now he said he's lifting, like, for his family, but he's also lifting for the young guns coming up underneath him. So it's funny, he obviously... Yeah, yeah, that fluctuation. He extracted new motivation from what was around him. So it wasn't the same yeah. kind of motivation all the time, you know. Um, we should probably talk, actually, just mention where you find motivation from. Personally, for me, I think extrinsic motivation is not that useful and I think most people realise this after a certain period of time you yeah. know seeing a cool picture with a cool quote isn't that useful <laughs> after a while like it may get you hyped for 8 seconds or people sometimes people ask actually like where do I find the motivation but ultimately I don't even think about not training like it's very yeah. rare that I'll think do you know what I won't train today that's a it's more of a discipline thing it's more why would you why would you even think like that why would you think about not training like why would you yeah, not yeah, like yeah. Why, you know that's how for me that's the kind of motivation is it's in yeah. it's, it's it's intrinsic to what I'm doing now like it's just like yeah so every day I have to eat food and then also I have to be training you know there's no yeah 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 it's not an option yeah do you have anything to say on motivation uh, so or you, as you a wrap topic this bad boy up yeah I think we could actually do a whole one on motivation. Um, yeah. What like my two cents on motivation is is that like it's a very much a state thing. So I think people get uh, at the start, people get 
this whole kind of they build up this whole thing around motivation in their head and how important motivation is and and how important it is to be able to get hyped and that this is so motivating and have you seen this this is fucking David Goggins running 100 miles he's so whatever like you know I think at the start that that's very very important for people and people kind of hold on to that very very tightly but then the more experienced people you meet and the more kind of highly effective athletes you meet none of those guys are are doing it for that like most of them are doing it because they really really love their their sport and what they do in their sport and they really enjoy the training around their sport or if they don't enjoy the training they really enjoy competing or they enjoy the lads they they play or girls they play with um so i think yeah i think there's a huge amount around motivation that we could probably delve into for a fucking whole podcast series um but what i would say is if you're if you're in the state now where you you struggle with motivation you need to kind of start looking at the reasons why you train um what motivates you like in terms of yourself not just seeing what other people do not just seeing what your teammates are lifting not just seeing what people on instagram are doing um like have a kind of another like reflective moment but maybe write it down in a book of why you enjoy doing this sport why you enjoy training competing whatever it is um and kind of rationalize it for yourself first and then start looking at ways to get more motivated or more hyped afterwards that's my two cents on that yeah it is it is a lot of times younger newer lifters are the most kind of looking for motivation they're they like let's say in weightlifting people like to talk about watching training videos before they go training you know to get hyped and yeah uh, you know it's a no bad thing but i think it's a cycle everyone goes through it's a phase of training that everyone goes through that the that it's so new that you love it so much that you want to consume everything with it yeah 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 so they're not looking at this video thinking oh that's an interesting technique or why are you doing the training they're looking at that to be like yeah that's fucking oh let's go i fucking yeah, love yeah, this yeah. you know <laughs> um it's a, it's a Motivation. I think we should do one in the next few weeks. Yeah, on on motivation. Yeah, because like um, your your motivations are very very different from what a lot of people I think would think <laughs> of so, of it. Like yeah, uh, yeah. I think we should do one. Yeah, yeah. We definitely should. Um, uh, we're at like an hour and 15 or an hour and 20 minutes um, I suppose in closing mindset is something that is so important but it's so hard to grasp it's such a hard thing to pin yeah. down it's just so changing someone's mindset without talking to them is is obviously like giving training you can't be like why don't I have motivation the same way someone could be like, why am I missing the bar behind or how do I get better yeah, at yeah, my yeah. vertical jump? That's very easy. But in terms of motivation, what the the point of this one was, this is make you think about things and maybe lo- lo- turn a few tools, how to uh, change your mindset. But ultimately, it's like trying to get an addict off heroin. They have to make the decision <laughs> to make the change. They have to know that it's a problem. And it yeah. very likely you may not have any problem with your mindset but I suppose you can always get better too you can always yeah. improve there's always those marginal gains any resources you would recommend people go look at 
that they can kind and of not um, David Goggins. Not David Goggins. <laughs> he, he's the massively extrinsic one where I'm talking about where oh you get that flash of God. motivation and then it's gone. You get that real spark, you know, and then it's gone again wait after. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like it's like the chorus oh, he... of a good song, you know? Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know, the chorus every of a time you listen to the song, like like it just gets a little bit less entertaining every time you listen to it and the same with motivation so ultimately yeah the discipline is what is important what i feel i think is just the discipline to go training yeah all right um right thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening guys